from Your Broccoli Weekly, this is Generation Windrush, part two of a documentary special. I'm Jaja Mohammed. The COVID-19 crisis we're currently facing has highlighted a resounding truth for us all, that the National Health Service is an important part of our lives, and all those who are bravely working on the front line are national treasures. My grandparents' generation responded to the call from Great Britain and came over from the Caribbean in the 50s, 60s and early 70s in great numbers. I came to London, to England, during the Windrush period. There had been a drive from England because the British were looking for people from the colonies to come to help develop the country after the Second World War. I also felt very special, actually, that we were taking on this really, really heroic challenge and coming up to England to help the British develop the NHS. That was former NHS nurse Alison Williams. There's a deep connection between the NHS and the arrival of the Windrush merchant vessel, carrying nearly 500 Caribbean people to Britain. Both events happened in 1948. And to this day, in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, many people from the Windrush generation are still serving on the front line, making huge sacrifices, and there's evidence to suggest that the coronavirus is having a disproportionate impact on people from ethnic minority backgrounds, over a third of which make up the critically ill coronavirus patients. So in mid-March of this year, just as COVID-19 was ramping up, a report was published and pretty much buried, detailing the appalling treatment of hundreds of Caribbean people threatened with deportation. The British government, under successive Conservative Home Secretaries, had created a deeply hostile environment for many West Indians, their children and grandchildren, who collectively became known as the Windrush Generation. In episode two of Generation Windrush, I want to get a clearer picture of what this recent Windrush scandal was all about. When did it start? Who was really responsible? And what happens next for people like me? In the spring of 2018, the Guardian newspaper broke a story which claimed that people from the Windrush generation and family members were being wrongfully detained, and in some cases deported. According to the Home Office, they had no rights to remain in the UK. I wanted to speak to three of the key people who helped to bring this scandal to light. One is an activist, one is a lawyer, and one is the journalist who broke this story for The Guardian, Amelia Gentleman. She's the author of the book The Windrush Betrayal which is based on her time unravelling this story. Well, the reporting that I did at The Guardian began actually in late 2017. And it started with just one email from a charity in Wolverhampton. The outreach workers were very concerned about one of their clients, a woman called Paulette Wilson, who then was, I think, about 61. She was somebody who'd arrived from Jamaica in the 1960s, aged uh, 10, and who had lived in Britain Ever since, she hadn't left the country. Um, she'd had a daughter, granddaughter here, and she'd worked and paid taxes here all her life. Um, she'd even worked in the House of Commons for a while. She had received a number of letters from the Home Office um, in the 18 months, I think, before I spoke to her. 
telling her that she was in the UK illegally and was liable for detention and deportation. And I was contacted by the charity in Wolverhampton when she had in fact been arrested and was being detained in Yarlswood Detention Centre, which is a an immigration uh, detention centre for women only. She was shortly after that moved to Heathrow, put in another detention centre and was about to be put on a plane back to Jamaica when the, the charity and her local MP managed to intervene. And they they contacted me again after she'd been released to say that she did want to talk about what had happened to her, um, not least because it seemed so absurd that the Home Office had come so close to removing her and sending her back to a country that she hadn't even visited for 50 years. I interviewed her, we published her story in The Guardian, And at that time, I was quite puzzled by what had happened to her. I wasn't sure whether it was just a really, really terrible mistake that the Home Office had made or whether it was something that was happening more widely. And almost as soon as the piece was published in The Guardian, I began to get phone calls and emails from other people who said that they knew people who'd had uh, similar difficulties. At the heart of it was a misclassification problem by the Home Office, who had mistakenly classified thousands of people who had come to this country as children entirely legally as illegal immigrants. And as a result of that misclassification, people had had their lives turned upside down in really, really horrific ways. My parents came to the UK as part of the Windrush generation. My father came from Jamaica in 1952. My mother came from Grenada in 1958. Uh, They settled in South London. I was born in 1962, the first of their children. You know, the Windrush story very much resonates with us. This is Jacqueline McKenzie. She's an immigration lawyer who's been working directly with the people who've been affected severely by this scandal. She's worked tirelessly to obtain documents to help individuals prove that they have a right to stay. My work as a solicitor specialising in immigration and asylum law brought me in contact with a lot of these cases many, many years ago. I'd say probably a decade ago, I was doing a number of cases where it was obvious to me there was an issue about people who had come to the UK in the 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s even who had no evidence to show that they had the right to be in the UK and were having to spend thousands of pounds applying to naturalise or for some other form of immigration status in order to be able to continue getting on with their lives. And around 2015, I was doing a training course for the High Commissioners and Ambassadors from the Caribbean region, the CARICOM region, where we were looking at a number of issues, but this issue came up. Now, we didn't describe it as a Windrush issue. We were just talking about people of a certain age who came over a certain period who were having to spend a lot of money. We hadn't really defined the issue in the way that it became known, but it's something that was on our radar. And of course, when the scandal broke in the media, it was obviously clear that this is exactly what we'd been talking about. 
It's becoming clear to me that what was happening to the Windrush generation wasn't accidental, but was by design. There's one other person I spoke to who helped to publicise what was happening to the Windrush generation. Well, I've been involved for the last 10 years plus campaigning for a National Windrush Day because I've done a lot of research work on the Windrush generation. My parents are from that generation. They came to Britain from Jamaica in the 50s. So I've always had that in my DNA, I suppose. That's Patrick Vernon, a political activist currently campaigning for a restorative justice compensation scheme for those affected by the Windrush scandal. Patrick has been fighting to make sure that the stories of the Windrush generation and those directly affected by it would never go away. I used to be a a politician and local councillor in Hackney for about eight years. I've not been a councillor about four years now, maybe a bit longer. How I got involved with the scandal is I have a radio show in Hackney called Museum of Grooves and the station manager, Alicia, contacted me and said, Patrick, um, I think there's someone who might be caught up in this hostile environment from the Caribbean. Can you have a chat with them? Uh, yeah, and I did. And uh, the person I actually spoke to was a Waldo Romeo. He came to Britain as a four-year-old from Antigua. I you know, grew up in Islington, he worked for many years, got children, and he got one of these letters from the Home Office saying that basically you're a legal immigrant. The difference with his case compared to the other cases uh, is he did have a British passport, he did travel, he lost his passport and he wanted a new one, and for a period of about a decade, he was basically being fobbed off by the Home Office and the passport agency. They basically said, well, you know, we haven't got proof that you've had a British passport, and if he did, well, you know, we don't recognise that, and why don't you get an Antiguan passport? So he's been stuck in limbo. He's not been able to travel to Antigua for weddings, funerals, because he's not had a passport. So I looked into his case. I compared his case to other cases of people being caught up in the scandal. At the time, we didn't use the word the Windrush scandal. It was just like lots of individual Caribbean people who seemed to be fallen foul of the Home Office. And I recognised that this wasn't just a freak coincidence. This was a systematic discrimination of people who were children that came to Britain in the 50s and 60s. And I launched my petition on the government website basically saying there should be amnesty for people, compensation, and there should be a suspension of all deportation flights. It went live in just before Easter. It went ballistic. I mean, within about 10 days, I got over 100,000 signatures. Patrick's petition gathered momentum online. It raised awareness of what was happening to hundreds of Caribbean people in the UK who were being detained and deported. Someone on a similar mission was Amelia Gentleman. What was really interesting is how long it took for there to be any kind of political reaction. Every time we published a piece in The Guardian, I had to go to the Home Office and say, we are publishing a story about somebody who's been wrongly detained. Could you comment? And to begin with, their comments were very dismissive almost, and almost blamed the individuals for their own problems, uh, saying that they needed to fill immigration forms in and they needed to pay application fees for these immigration applications and that they needed to get legal advice, even though it was kind of obvious that 
you couldn't get legal advice if you'd lost your job because there was no legal aid for this kind of issue. And you couldn't also fill in the forms and, and pay for the application fees because these fees ranged between about £230 and over £1,000. So if you'd lost your job, you couldn't sort it out. And so it wasn't really until April 2018 that there was any proper political response. And that really only happened because there was this international meeting of Commonwealth heads of government leaders in London. And the uh, leaders of the 12 Caribbean nations who had all begun to realise that people from their countries had been very, very badly affected by this problem, requested a meeting with Theresa May during this summit. And for whatever reason, Downing Street replied that Theresa May who was then Prime Minister, didn't have time for this meeting. And so when we published that piece on the front of The Guardian saying that there had been this snub, really, of the Caribbean leaders, that was the moment at which a story which had struggled to grab wider attention finally took off internationally. And within hours of that piece, Amber Rudd, who was then Home Secretary, and a number of other ministers were at the dispatch box in the House of Commons, uh, finally apologising for the appalling treatment of this group of people. One of the prominent people who signed Patrick Verner's petition was Labour MP David Lammy. Here's how he responded to Amber Rudd in the House of Commons. This is a day of national shame and it has come about because of a hostile environment policy that was begun under her Prime Minister. Let us call it as it is. If you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. And that is what has happened with this far-right rhetoric in this country. Can she apologise properly? Can she explain how quickly this team will act to ensure that the thousands of British men and women denied their rights in this country under her watch in the Home Office are satisfied? Amber Rudd denied that the Home Office had targets for expelling illegal immigrants from the UK. She said as much in front of the Home Office Select Committee. The suspicion was that the Windrush generation were part of a wider initiative to remove illegal immigrants across the UK. The vast majority of the Windrush generation under threat of deportation were not here illegally, even though the correct documentation was often hard to verify. A few days later, after her denial, Amber Rudd resigned. Now, in the last few minutes, while we've been on air, it's been announced that uh, Amber Rudd has resigned. Theresa May has accepted the resignation of the Home Secretary. Amber Rudd's resignation was proof that the Windrush generation was treated unfairly and unjustly by the British government. Here's Patrick Vernon. And ministers do resign over a whole range of issues. We know that from history. But this was the first time a actual senior government minister resigned on the issue of race, and particularly about black people unprecedented. So for the very fact that she had to resign because she lied to Parliament, the government was on the back foot. They had to do something. They appointed the new Home Secretary. Then he announced a Windrush task force to fast-track people's status in Britain. They launched a consultation around uh, a compensation scheme for people. And then they decided to have an internal review of the Home Office Court, a lessons learned review, to review the Home Office and the Windrush scandal over a 10 to 12 year period. The Lessons Learned review became known as the Windrush Report, and this review happened to land at the same time as COVID-19. As a result, it kind of disappeared. 
The government's hostile environment policy impacted people differently, but the result was the same. Some of the effects were loss of citizenship, housing, financial and emotional trauma, and overall humiliation. Many were deported and even refused entry back into the UK after going on holiday. As an immigration lawyer, Jacqueline McKenzie has worked on hundreds of cases with people who faced deportation in the last few years, but many still haven't received any compensation for the trauma they've been put through. Well, the Windrush Compensation Scheme was set up to, I suppose, you know, provide for the losses that anybody encountered. And it's quite an interesting thing because it is really for the losses. And so a lot of people caught up in the Windrush scandal aren't easily able to demonstrate any losses. It's not a redress scheme. It's can you show that you had a job on this date and that you lost it as a result of a decision made by the Home Office on another date? Um, And so the numbers of people who are going to qualify under this scheme are going to be very low indeed. However, We've seen in the press that only, I think it's something like 30-something people have received any compensation at all. I think the figures that were quoted were about 60-something thousand pounds. Um, So it all seems very negligible and and really quite disappointing, to be honest. Those figures came out a few weeks ago, so things may well have moved on since then. Up until very recently, and remember, we're almost two years into the scandal, but it was appalling. COVID-19 is at the centre of all our worlds at this moment. And as I found out over these programmes, there's a real connection between the current coronavirus, the National Health Service and the Windrush generation. And many are still working on the front line in the NHS. In mid-March, the Windrush report came out, but the timing wasn't quite right. It is a really, really powerful report. It's done by a civil servant, Wendy Williams, who was asked by Sajid Javid when he was Home Secretary to take on the task of trying to find out what had caused this horrific problem and why it hadn't been picked up by the Home Office sooner. And she has done an incredibly forensic job. It was really unfortunate that it came out at the end of March, just before the country went into total lockdown. I went to the press conference just as it was being launched. And it was, I think, probably the last time I went out for a work meeting And even at that point, all of the journalists were being positioned at two metre distances from each other. But inevitably, it didn't get the political attention which it deserves because of this global crisis. I don't think it was a kind of Machiavellian move by the government to deliberately bury it. I think it was very, very unfortunate. And I think that people who are concerned about this issue will not let it drop and will have to return to the report's findings once Parliament is back up and running and once this other crisis has slightly receded. And certainly the author of the report, Wendy Williams, has said that she's going to do a check, I think after six months on the Home Office, to see whether they are taking stock of of her recommendations. Although its release is welcomed, political activist Patrick Vernon still believes there's more work to do. It's important that uh, even during this period, we need to put pressure on the government to start a process around the implementation of Wendy Williams' 30 recommendations. And even though Wendy Williams didn't use the word institutional racism to the Home Office, she used the word institutional ignorance. If you look at her 30 recommendations, 
all the recommendations around the culture, the mindset, policies, the procedures, the training, the lack of knowledge of black history, uh, colonial history, migration history, basically points to the fact that they are institutionally racist. So if, if Winnie can't say it, I'll say it for her, the Home Office is institutionally racist, which means that these recommendations, not only do they have to be implemented, they have to be an independent oversight. So I asked immigration lawyer Jacqueline McKenzie what she thinks are the next steps. There needs to be a whole scale discussion about this community, which includes with it structures and systemic changes so that we even out some of the inequalities that this community has suffered and whether we call it reparations or redress. But I really do think that then what next is recognising the value of this community, treating them with respect and ironing out some of the inequalities that keeps this you know, this particular generation and its descendants at the bottom of society. This story is about the close ties between the Windrush and the hardships that many people have faced at the hands of the government. And in this particular time, I feel it's important to acknowledge and be grateful to this Windrush generation for pushing through. Then and now... And again, with COVID-19, we have more reasons than we knew to be thankful for their contributions. I want to leave the last words to the former NHS nurse, Alison Williams. But first, storyteller and author of the book Homecoming, Colin Grant. I want us to remember these people as triumphant people whom we owe so much. I think we have to think about the importance of intergenerational conversations. Too often we just keep to our own group, don't we? Our own peer group. You and I and any broadcaster, any person involved in the media maybe needs to encourage people to think what it is that they get from life, what it is that that they value. And storytelling sustains us. Marcus Garvey argued time and time again that a people without a culture and a history... Is like a tree without a root. And I just think we need to remind people of that. That actually, without these stories, you are rootless. You are unanchored. You are cast adrift. So stories anchor us. And stories give us meaning. You know, for a lot of us, life took over. Because many of my colleagues as that I mentioned, who started with me, The wish was we would train as nurses, midwives, and then go and give back. We were meant to, most of us, go back to the Caribbean. But, um, you know, many of us got overtaken by love and marriage and children and mortgages. (laughs) And so we stayed here. This is Generation Windrush. Thanks for contributions from Alison Williams, Jacqueline McKenzie, Patrick Vernon, Amelia Gentleman and Colin Grant. I've been your host, Jaja Mohammed. Dior is back next week with Your Broccoli Weekly. Thanks for listening. <laughs>